Your name is Stryker? Yes, it is. That's fire. <laughs> wow. I love sandwiches. It's called tuna on toast. I, I, I spit. I don't know what I'm doing. I love music, and I love those that create it. Stryker's here. Tuna on toast. Yes. Yeah, welcome to another episode of Tuna on Toast. Can you believe it? We made it. Happy holidays, everybody. It is your friend, Ted Stryker. Michael C. Hall is going to join us in just a second. There's a couple things you should know uh, before we get to Michael. We recorded this interview before the end of the SAG after strike. There were about a zillion things that I wanted to ask him about Dexter and Six Feet Under, but I was so afraid of breaking any of the rules that I stayed away from it. Does Michael mention his dark passenger during the interview? Yes, he does. I'm also a member of SAG-AFTRA, so congratulations uh, to everybody that the strike is over, and I am available for any of your movies, uh, TV shows, voiceover, and it should be noted that if you are going to list the greatest actors of the last 50 years, this is my order. I would go De Niro first, and then I'd probably put myself second. <laughs> so Robert De Niro followed by Ted Stryker. Michael C. Hall rules. And this may sound weird, but I want you to let me know if you feel the same way when you listen to this interview. We'll get it started in just a second. When he talks, it sounds exactly like Dexter. Like I, the speech pattern and the pitch, I thought it was like on the set of Dexter and he was making orange juice and putting a white t-shirt on that stretched over his face. Michael C. Hall, everybody knows, is incredibly talented. I love his band. They are called Princess Goes. Princess Goes, a three-piece. It's Michael, it's Pete, and Matt. Their debut album came out in 2021. Their second album is called Come of Age. Uh, one song in particular is Jetpack. I already played it on the radio. Going to play more songs from the album because it's that good. We talk about David Bowie and how Michael sang in front of Bowie. Kind of an audition. He already had the part. It was for Lazarus. But enough of my yapping. Let's get to it again. Thank you so much for the support of Tune on Toast 2024 is gonna be a big year for this podcast. And again, I will say it for the 17th time. Thank you for listening, for finding this show and being part of the Tune On Toast community. And without any further ado, please welcome to Tune On Toast, the one and only frontman of Princess Goes, Michael C. Hall. There he is, Zoom ready, Michael C. Hall. How are you doing, man? I'm doing all right. I'm doing all right. It's nice to see you. It's good to see you too. I don't need your exact address because that would be weird during an interview. But like, what what part of the country are you in right now? I'm in uh, Western North Carolina. That's where I live currently. Where did you grow up? I grew up. I grew. I grew up in Raleigh for the most part in Raleigh, North Carolina, right in the middle of the state. And I've lived for the most part in New York and Los and Los Angeles for most of my adult and professional life. But um. Uh, about a year and change ago, I uh, decided to move back to uh, not the middle of nowhere, but middle of nowhere adjacent, at least. Um, I think the COVID uh, experience found me living in a cabin for a while, and I really uh, grew accustomed to being um, in a place that was a bit more rural and, um, yeah, decided to make the move. And do you feel living in a rural area you can still get all the creative juices that you had with all the hustle and bustle or do you get it even more because maybe you're in your head more sitting there sometimes solo yeah i'm sure some scales get more weighted and some whatever the opposite is 
but yeah, I still feel um, I still feel creatively juiced, right? <laughs> um, and and you know, it's a pretty easy trip up to New York, which I do make periodically to get together with uh, Peter and Matt, and for other reasons. So you know, if I need a little dose of um, relentless activity, I can always take a trip up to New York. Peter and Matt, your bandmates, which make Correct. up Princess Goes. You have two full-length albums out. Congratulations on that. Is, Thank you. You're welcome. Is being in a band something as a kid, you're like, this is what I want to do? Or is this something that you thought of over the last, I don't know, five to ten years? I think it was something I wanted to do in some sort of fantasy realm. Mm-hmm. You know, as, as a music lover, I think anytime I was really into a band, at least, uh, part of the appeal of listening to the music is imagining yourself being in the band. Um, that's not really where things took me as far as uh, showbiz goes. You know, I focused on acting and um i was never in a band never fronted a band until uh the hedwig and the angry inch that that acting gig broadway show right uh on which i met peter yanowitz our drummer um and through him matt katz bowen our third member um but that gave me a taste of what it was like to actually front a band and i loved it and um yeah, it's not something I ever imagined that I do. I didn't even, you know, when I offered to sing on some instrumental tracks that Matt and Peter had made, I just said it sort of casually just because I thought it might be fun, not because I was angling to start a band for them. And I don't think either of them imagined that we make an EP and two full-length records and be touring and all that stuff. It, it sort of happened to us as much as we happened to it, this band. How is it fronting a band? compared to being the front of a TV show. You're playing the character, of course, in the TV show, but in the band, you're Michael. You're Michael. Here you are. It's your swag. You're Someone else isn't yeah. writing these lines. It's you. What's that like? Yeah, well, I mean, I think that's the fundamental difference, that I'm not interpreting somebody else's idea. I'm, I'm, I'm embodying, you know, a collective idea that the three of us have created. And um, I think performing is performing. I definitely think being on stage with a band is a lot more like being on stage in a play than it is like being in front of a camera. Um, Because uh, (laughs) you can't, you can't stop and go back. Or if you do, it's really awkward. I mean, I guess that does happen (laughs) in live performance. But um, yeah, it's, um, yeah, I guess it is me, uh, though, there are times when we're playing songs, and, and I, you know, feel as uh, just like, you know, the words of a playwright might be moving through you as you're acting on stage. I feel like the words and the music are moving through all of us in a way that, you know, it doesn't feel like it really belongs to us as much as we're just sort of presenting it to the audience and giving it to them in the same way you would with somebody else's material. You know, I think, I don't know, it's, uh, and it's definitely, it's me, but I, whoever I am on stage is, is its own thing, you know? And I just, I think we, we haven't really gotten together and talked about who or how we are on stage, but those things kind of um, develop and there's a sort of persona or character that you embody, even if you are performing your own songs, I think. I totally agree with you. And I have not seen you play in person yet, but I've seen some of the videos. And I'm sorry for using this word. You got swag on stage, man. Your confidence Mm. is like uber high. Who are some front men or front women in your life that you saw on stage? and You're like, oh, that person's really good. I love that. I mean, it's pretty full spectrum, I guess. I mean, you know, when I was in junior high, I loved David Lee Roth. (laughs) Nice, yes. But, you know, 
But then I think of somebody like Mark Lanigan, Ugh. who would just stand and deliver like a statue yeah. and command a stage in that way. So, um, you know, in terms of the um, extravagant versus sort of stoic um, stand and deliver vibe, I kind of like those two extremes and everything in between. Yeah, it's definitely come with uh, time. You know, we've I, I'm relatively new at this Um especially given that I'm a man of a certain age, but we have played a lot of gigs at this point. And um, it's only in, in having done that, you know, having a, a certain, a decent amount of flight miles that you can, uh, in a good way, have a kind of nonchalance that you can't, you can only fake until you don't have to fake it. But it's, um, yeah, as a performer, it's been, um, like I said, unanticipated and very different wrinkle to my experience as an actor or as a performer, rather. And I love the tunes, and I'm going to be playing one of them on my show here pretty soon. Being in front of the camera, do you have to be perfect? Because when I watch bands play, I like the imperfections that come out of a live show. That's yeah. what makes it unique and what makes bands so cool. You don't need the best voice in the world, but you have something on stage. It's not perfect. I mean, perfect is boring, you know, mm. it's, it's, it's not accessible. If there aren't some, some cracks in the plaster or whatever metaphor you want to use, it, it doesn't feel as uh, relatable. We are all of us uh, at our best imperfect. I, I can't remember who said it and whoever said it to me was quoting some other actor, but um, talked about, you know, yeah, you don't have to be perfect on camera, certainly. Mm. But, but they, they said that we're just rehearsing while the camera's rolling. We're just we're just trying. We're just we're just, um, you know, visiting the scene again and again and again, not trying to present some sort of idealized version of it. We're just embodying it. And if you embody it, it's going to be, you know, warts and all. And uh, right. oftentimes the unanticipated what you would call on paper mistakes are the moments of inspiration that kind of just, just give it that life, you know? And um, yeah, I think that's definitely true when we play live. Sometimes it's, it's when things go off the rails or <laughs> there was one play we are, we are a, a, a threesome and um, Matt and Peter are both multi-instrumentalists. I'm uh, I'm just standing there singing, you know, but, um, you know, when you hear the soundscape of our recordings, as you can imagine, there are some um, there is some tracking that happens from time to time, from song to song. And uh, there was a show that we did uh, the Poisson Rouge in New York and um, the computer crashed. And uh, oh we basically had to play the last half of the set just live and like huddled up, you know, between <laughs> songs and said, you want to try this one that we haven't ever played uh, aside from in our studio and never anticipated. And I hope I remember the words and that kind of thing. And it was invigorating. I mean, and, and I think um, it was a real threshold that was good for us to have crossed um, to, to fly without a net. Well, even though when the flight started, we thought the net was there. You know? In my super small bubble, very small bubble. What gets me going is doing things when you know there's a great chance that you could fail, but there's a good chance you're going to do well. I like doing it without yeah. a net. It's like, yeah, absolutely. I, yeah, I mean, I think I think that's there's you can't fake the kind of invigoration that goes along with like this could completely just descend into chaos at any moment. You know, <laughs> yeah, that's um, it's exhilarating. Is there anything with your ego that needed to be checked because your shows have been huge, you've won all these awards, and here you are, you're playing some of the best music venues 
in the country, like the Troubadour here in L.A., then you're San Diego, San Francisco, but they're smaller venues. And you've, you've got yeah. to earn, earn new fans for this to get people to come give a damn about this. Yeah, it's like we were out, we were, you know, pretty, pretty, uh, whatever the opposite, uh, opposite of luxury touring uh, <laughs> is, is, is what we've been doing. You know, we were in um, the U.K. and Europe. And I was thinking, man, I'm living the dream, but it's a dream of a 22 year old, and um, <laughs> I can't manage to get to sleep. I'm wide awake, and I'm 52. Um, what am I doing? But I don't know. I mean, it's yeah. I, I think it's uh, it's been kind of great to be. Uh, I don't know, paying our dues, playing small clubs, getting the word out, whatever the whatever the language is. Um, and and you know, it's not lost on me that the notion of an actor in a band is something that inevitably is accompanied more often than not by a bit of an eye roll, you know? So I like, I like people showing up maybe with certain expectations with the confidence that they're going to see something they didn't expect. I, I, but yeah, it's definitely, a, definitely a, a little uh, check of the ego. Come of age is your most recent Francisco's album. And the song that I would love to play is called Jetpack. Where in the world did this song come from? I don't need to know the meaning, but how did this one come about with the guys? It is, uh, it started as a, a jam that Matt and Peter put together and that inspired um, some of the initial verses. And then that led to a more expansive you know, that latter part of the song that kind of talking about going off the rails. I mean, it kind of goes off the rails intentionally, though it's based based on a, I guess, a jam that unintentionally went. Anyway, that was a song that we came up with for the most part during the pandemic. So a lot of it was um, us sending ideas back and forth. The vocal at the end, you know, when there's that sort of scream is actually... We, we never beat the recording or never even tried, but that's like me singing in my, in my cabin in the woods into my iPhone. Um, that, <laughs> Whoa. yeah, yeah. And, um, there are some iPhone vocals that made, made their way onto both albums actually. But, um, yeah, lyrically, um, if you have to explain the lyrics, then I guess the lyrics can't speak for themselves, but I guess, yeah, there is an obvious, um, preoccupation in those lyrics with um the sense that we are becoming more and more beholden to our machines and the machine and um that that's a bit of a bit of a devil's bargain one that maybe we aren't even consciously making most of the time right. and um you know that we we're conditioned to to want things and uh the ultimate commodity is not something that we're ultimately going to get it's something that we may well ultimately be. Thank you for explaining that. I love that. Yeah. Jetpack is the song. Michael. And it's about, yeah, maybe like a, a wistful, shiny, happy uh, memory of what we thought technology was going to be. Like, whatever happened to my jetpack? I right. thought we were gonna, all going to be flying around on jetpacks by now. <laughs> you think we'll be in flying cars in the next 10 years? Nope. No. I do not. I think, uh, I okay. think maybe there'll be a flying car app that we can fixate on, on our little pocket mirrors that we all carry around, right. but an actual flying car. No, I don't think that's going to happen. Am I totally insane? And you can say, yes, you are, that there is a Bowie influence in Jetpack or no, it feels like it. <clears throat> well, you know, I think there's a Bowie influence uh, in everything we do. And as much as we're, you know, we grew up Bowie fans and um, I had the chance to work with him. Um, I do think there's a, Black Star 
kind of vibe on that particular track, but it's not something we ever talked about going for. I think it's just a result of us being, again, like men of a certain age who grew up at a certain time and, and, and our formative years were very much influenced by his music. And um, yeah, we don't, we don't have to sort of try to lean into that kind of influence. It's just, it's just there. I didn't realize in the moment, I think you and I are similar age, when I would watch all the David Bowie videos on MTV, I was little. I didn't understand at that time how, what a Hall of Famer, once in a million, one time in a million sort of artist he was. Did you back then? No, I mean, when I first became aware of Bowie, it was um, in the Let's Dance uh, incarnation. Right. Um, That's when I was like in junior high. And it was only it was only when I got to high school and beyond that I you know started to go back and um, fill in the blanks that led up to that. And of course, there were there was there was work to follow. But no, I don't think I I just thought I was looking at some suave blonde guy in a in a in a sort of cool baggy suit. I didn't right. know that there was a, that there were many other hairdos and many <laughs> other suits that preceded. That. Right, one thousand percent. So Lazarus, the musical, Bowie's musical that you were the lead in, did you have to audition in front of him to land that? Not exactly. I already technically had the job. Um, He had signed off on me playing the part because uh, the director and um, the producers had had seen Hedwig and and decided that, that I could pull it off. But there was a final step. Um, I met with him in the uh, East Village apartment of the musical director, Henry Hay. Um, it was the first time I'd met Henry. I sang through all the songs, and then Bowie showed up at the apartment. Oh. And I sang through all the songs again. And yeah, even though I already had the job, it it felt like a final kind of <laughs> threshold. If it had gone really badly, I'm sure it could have all fallen apart. So I did in a way feel like I was auditioning for him, but he was incredibly um, well-dressed and good smelling and, (laughs) and so gracious. And like, I, I, the first thing he said to me is like, thank you so much for doing this, you know? And I said, well, thank you so much for everything. I had to turn off a part of my brain to get through it, but, um, but it was great. And, and one of the one of the highlights, I think, of my entire life is the first thing I first song I sang was um, Where Are We Now? It's from the next day and it was in the show. And um, when I got to the end of the song and I was very much just focused on he- Henry uh, keeping Bowie in my peripheral vision at best. Um, but I heard these oohs and I looked and he had his eyes closed and was singing the backing vocal that he had orchestrated for the. And I was like, all right, I have nothing left to be afraid of <laughs> right. ever. Right. You know? that, was a, that was an amazing moment. Thank you for sharing that. Two questions based on that. Did he give you any notes, positive or negative? Not negative, but friendly critiques. And did when sometimes, I guess, when people perform, you get flowers. Did you get any of that sort of stuff? <laughs> um, he didn't really. I mean, I think if he had... Um, if he had specific notes about anything having to do with the production as we were in the midst of rehearsals, I think he filtered them through Ivo van Hoof, who was the director. He, he was very, he was very positive. You know, he was very complimentary. There was one song that I sang that um, I had never heard him sing because it was a new composition. And the only um, demo I had was somebody else singing. And um, 
he said, um, I actually have a CD of my demo of this song. If it would be useful, do you want to hear that? And I said, no, nah, man, I don't want to hear that. No, I said, yeah, that, would be, that would be great. I'll take it. Um, so, so, you know, there might have been some information in his delivery of that song that was useful to me. And um, I remember at one point there was a rhyme in one of the songs that he uh, encouraged me to, li- to deliver as if I knew that it was not much of a rhyme, kind of a bad rhyme. But a bad rhyme is all what I was singing about deserved and to spit it out like that. Um, that was I think that was a specific thing he said that was pretty amazing. But, you know, I think he has a lot of respect for any performer's process. And he wasn't looking to tell anybody, including me, how to embody his material, you know. Wow. That is I mean, can you believe you're an A plus talent, but can you believe sitting here now that that happened? No. No, I can't. I can't. Um, and and the fact that it did, I think, has a lot to do with the fact that I'm talking to you now about this band. I don't know if I hadn't had the experience of working with him and working on that show. I don't know that I would think I had whatever smidgen little minute bit of business I have fronting a band. I, I, I think um, there was some sort of uh, permission <laughs> That, that maybe that experience gave me that I wouldn't have otherwise had. When you were in your teens and you're listening to music, we talked about a couple artists that you liked. What were some TV shows or movies that you liked when you were a kid? And did those have any influence on you wanting to become an actor? Yeah, I loved, uh, I mean, when I was really little, I loved The Six Million Dollar Man. I loved The Incredible Hulk. Yes. <laughs> um in a way, I, I kind of got to be the Incredible Hulk, you know, some version of that with, with Dexter. I mean, right. I'm not nearly as uh, muscular, um, nor did I have to, like, tear through my clothes every week. <laughs> but that that sort of um, dark passenger idea. Yes. Um, those shows I loved. I loved I loved the Dukes of Hazard, and I loved it when my, my mom and dad would let me stay up with them and watch, like, the shows they watched, like Dallas and Falcon Crest. <laughs> Remember that? Of course, and, yes. Um, yeah, stuff like that. Um, yeah, they were all formative. I don't know. I, I think I knew that I that I liked singing in choirs. I was like in a boys choir when I was a little kid. I was a first soprano in the boys choir and I was in plays here and there. And I think I knew looking back that it was the thing that did it for me, unlike anything else. But it was like a secret that I kept, not just from other people, but even to myself or even from myself. I, 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 I didn't want the world or even my own conscious um, naysaying impulse to tell me like, well, that's impossible. That's a terrible idea. You're never going to do that. But I think looking back, it's what I always kind of knew I wanted to do, but I kept it under wraps. Right. But you did it. You had the guts to do it and you got into NYU. What was that like Get going into NYU? That Was that grad school acting? Yeah. Grad school. They have a graduate acting program. Okay. It's like three years sort of conservatory training. Wow. Uh, initially, it's more like geared toward the classroom. And as you move toward the end, you get to the point where you're doing like a sort of repertory season of plays as a third year. And um, I knew that it was a really good place to be. And uh, I went to an audition in Chicago. I was actually going to undergrad at a school in Indiana. So I went to a first audition in Chicago. I was invited to an audition in New York. It was kind of like a weekend or I guess it was weekdays, but you went to classes and, you know, they were watching you, watching every movie made, you know. (laughs) 
But yeah, I got in and um, I don't know. I had no idea how to make anything happen for myself, like professionally. So being able to go to New York, have three years living in New York, focusing on going to school uh, was invaluable, you know, and, and it ended up putting me on enough of a radar that I got an agent and et cetera, et cetera. Man, you know what I really admire and I'm hearing this so much and God, you lead the charge in putting yourself out there to get judged. And no matter what, you, Michael, are going to do it. It doesn't matter. You just like, I want to do this. Let me audition for NYU. Let me go on these other auditions. Let me be in this band. Like that rules, yeah. man. Kudos. Yeah. It's, well, thanks. Yeah. I mean, I've developed a vague tolerance for and maybe even a craving of a perpetual vague sense of humiliation. That's <laughs> kind of goes with the territory, right? You know, yeah. when you put yourself out there, when you, when you, when you, when somebody cuts together a performance and it goes out on a big screen or small screen or, or, or you, or you play a gig in a venue, I mean, you know, that there's some sort of, um, there are sharks swimming out there, you know, and they, and they want to, and they're, 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 they smell nothing but blood, you know, and, yeah. uh, I've never been one to like jump out of airplanes or anything, but I guess there is some sort of um, daredevil where you're involved in, in doing that stuff. And um, <laughs> I'm still doing it. Yeah, that's great. Uh, the SAG-AFTRA strike hopefully is going to come to an end soon. So I don't want to do a deep dive or we're running out of time. Man. I don't even want to. Of course, I have a million questions about Dexter and Six Feet Under and then the reboot, which I loved. And Marco Siega, by the way has directed yeah. some of my favorite videos in the early 2000s. And I met him with like Papa Roach and System of a Down. I love that guy. Yeah. Oh, me too. I, 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 he's, he's fantastic. Um, fantastic director and a, and a fantastic person too. He's not the Incredible Hulk, but he was Dexter, the Dark Passenger, the band, the success. Princess Goes is the band. The latest album is out. They hit the road in December and January. I will be at the Troubadour cheering you on January 5th or 6th. I'll confirm it when it's on the show, on my radio show. Thank you, man. Thank you. I appreciate you too, man. Have a great rest of your day, and I'll see you in January. Congrats on everything. Thank you. Thank you. And please uh, don't hesitate to say hi if you're you're so inclined out in uh, Los Angeles. I will be saying I'll be the very nerdy guy without glasses at the show at the <laughs> Truman. <laughs> Sweet. Okay. Bye, Michael. Bye. Bye. All right. And that's the show. What a guy. Michael C. Hall. That's wild. I'm all fired up right now. Hey, hit that subscribe button. Spread the news on Tuna on Toast. That's been another episode. Happy snuggles. Bye-bye. That's another episode of Strikers Tuna on Toast. Promise it'll get better. Most likely. For sure. <laughs> Maybe.